Hello, hi everybody, welcome into another edition of the Last Episode Hitting Podcast, episode 123. Thank you for joining us as always on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or of course on YouTube, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast page. Please go ahead and subscribe and watch the show, watch previous episodes, mechanical breakdowns, it's all there previous 122 episodes so subscribe to our youtube page and of course follow us on social media at jim tara and at epstein hitting i think it's easy enough our topic today episode 123 facing an ace and that ace none other than free agent pitcher right-hander justin verlander who seemingly can pitch in every other game but the world series except for what game five of the 2022 World Series. Outside of that, he can't pitch in the World Series, but he is a great pitcher, future Hall of Famer, Cy Young Award winner, and we're going to discuss putting together a plan. F's going to be the hitting coach today, putting together a plan to face an ace, a la Justin Verlander. By the way, speaking of F, let's bring in the uh, the fella. Professional uh, evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend, and co-host, Jake Epstein. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Hope you uh, had a, had a nice time with your family and your dog. I did, I did. But I got to tell you though, Thanksgiving food. And I told Cassie this on cross functionality, so subscribe to that show as well. Thanksgiving food sucks. See, turkey you, sucks. You could be one of my kids. What? Is, so turkey. I have the dark meat. I don't like the white meat. Yeah. Turkey. Even the dark meat is dry. Like nobody or somebody tweeted this on Twitter. I, I, it was a great point. They tweeted this on Thanksgiving night. Nobody actually orders a turkey when they go out for like a celebration, right? I'm going out on a date, right? I don't take a, someone to a nice restaurant and say, hey, you know what? Waiter or waitress, sir, ma'am, I'll have the, the turkey. Nobody. Nobody ever orders turkey. You know why? Because turkey sucks. So does stuffing. So does cranberry sauce. You know the only good things about Thanksgiving food? I'll tell you right now. Cookies, cherry pie. That's it. Pumpkin pie sucks too. Who wants to eat a bunch of mush in your mouth? Seriously, think about that. You're Man, eating you, mush. Pumpkin pie is it's mush. You've put a lot of time, a lot of time and thought into this. I never, I never, I was driving the yeah, other it's day. It's about the tradition. It's about the tradition. Breaking breaking bread with the Native Americans. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. The Native Americans, they when they broke bread, they never had turkey. They're, I don't know where this came from. I was driving the other day. Wild passed, turkey running around. I passed a Starbucks. And they had, they, I hear commercials, and that got me thinking, I'm hearing commercials for the pumpkin spice, right? I was hearing that all fall, right? There's nothing good about pumpkin spice coffee either. There's nothing good about pumpkin pie. There's nothing really that great about turkey. Thanksgiving is great. It's a great holiday. Not a big turkey guy. Okay, rant over. Right. I wish you I wish you would stop ranting like this. I know. I actually like turkey, but it has to be, you have to have a, you have to have like a really good thermometer. Yes, I like agree. a barbecue, like a barbecue. So I like smoked turkey. I was going to say you barbecue. Like a barbecue restaurant, right. turkey is one of my favorite things because they season it up really well. But I think when you cook that whole bird, there's just <laughs> not a lot of. I mean, you can brine it and get some flavor. Did you have a brine turkey? That helps. I have no idea what Keep that is. Okay, so you got to have a brine turkey. Okay. You soak it in like a brine, salt, spices, and it soaks into it so it doesn't dry out. You definitely need that, but. Maybe next year we'll do a spot spatchcocked turkey. A what? Yep, that's next on my list. What's a spatchcock? It's where you like fillet the turkey in half and cook it so it cooks evenly and doesn't dry out. Hmm. Now, how did you learn that? Where did you learn that recipe from? Well, I was in uh, northern Nevada yeah. over Thanksgiving uh, visiting 
the in-laws and some of their friends who are big hunters and uh, they they eat a lot of elk and they eat a lot of wild turkey and they eat a lot of uh, deer and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they were telling me about it. That's how they cook their turkeys on the smoker. And they said, it's great. So then I looked it up and it's like a total thing. Yeah. Okay. We'll do an episode on it. What is it uh, called? Raj? What is it called? Raj? Uh, Raj cocked turkey? Spatch cocked. Spatch cock. Mm-hmm. Cocked or cock? Spatch cock turkey. I don't know. One of the two. All right. I'm going to Google that after after the show. Episode 123 today. By the way, I was um, last week we touched on um, showcase players, right? We touched on how players now being made into showcase showcase players. And I was this week, I was perusing the internet, the old wa- World Wide Web. And I was looking at some perfect game stuff and they have all these metrics, right? And we're going to break down what some of those metrics mean future episodes because a lot of people, younger players, parents don't really understand what those metrics from blast motion, um, diamond kinetics, what all of that means. But again, this is the catalyst of showcase players and why they're being made into such in 2022 going into 2023. I remember a few years ago, I was sitting across and talking with Mark Shapiro who's the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. Now think, for context purposes, Moneyball with that rear camera shot, Billy Bean talking to Mark Shapiro, that just flipped mm-hmm. me out with Billy Bean or a la Brad Pitt, and there you go. You've got that conversation. And you've got a picture in your head now. And I was talking with Mark, and he was telling me about his son a little bit and how his son is entering his teenage years. He wants to play baseball, wants to continue on. And he, Mark literally said to me, I, I just hope I can get him to college to play baseball. Now, this is a guy who has a son, Mark Shapiro, and I don't know his son's name, and we'll call him, you know, something Shapiro. His son has access to any coach in the Blue Jays organization, really any coach across Major League Baseball. His father has a great, pretty much a pristine reputation throughout Major League Baseball, something he could be the next commissioner of Major League Baseball. So he could have access to any coach and really have kind of a backdoor way in if he's talented enough to play professional baseball and mark shapiro doesn't even know if his son can play professional baseball so there's a lesson in there that while we're making these showcase players everybody thinks they can be and their parents think they can be professional baseball players it's a very hard thing that there's a big difference between playing major league baseball playing professional baseball and trying to get to college ep and play college baseball but right now we're we're kind of stuck in the middle ground we're trying to figure out okay, how do we make baseball players based off this data rather than the other way around? Let's make the baseball players and then let's look at their data and how we can best apply that data to the drills that they're working on. Well, that's that's the process. There's yeah. just, data is easy now. It's easy to set up. I received an email from one of the players that I, that I work with and see all the time that says, hey, come down to yada, yada, yada. Perfect game is going to put a K vest on you and take all your metrics with, a, you know, an exit velocity where they're using a track man. And then we'll post it to our website and it's free, but it costs, you know, whatever, $40 a month to be listed on the website, you know, to show. And then you can tr- track your progress. Well, again, now we're looking at data without implementation. What, what, what does that mean? Oh, I hit the ball. You know, and this kid is, you know. He's 14 years old. So there's 14 year old kids that are six foot two, and there's 14 year old kids that are five foot two and, a, and 110 pounds. How, how do you rank them at the same level? And that's essentially what they're doing. So somebody told me, don't ever go to a showcase until you're showcaseable, unless you're big and strong and fast and 
then don't go post your numbers. Cause that's all it is. It's just a college coach saying, Oh, this person throws really hard at this age. Okay. I think I'll go out and see them. You know, it's, they're not going on those numbers. Now the proper way to use all that is what we do at, at, at Epstein hitting and what we do at the lab. And that's why it's called the lab Epstein hitting podcast. But we, (laughs) but we, we take that in, we take that information, not from some random person that we never see or train, but people that we trade and we use that information. And then we go through it. If you have a KVS report, you have to go through that with a player or, or your coach that's knowledgeable on the information, probably for 30 to 40 minutes to understand what the heck is my body doing and what areas can I improve upon that? I mean, it doesn't just say, Oh, your hip moves this fast. Your shoulder moves this fast. Your arm moves. That doesn't do anybody any good. Oh, you're in sequence or you're not in say, well, that doesn't do anybody any good. It's how do we, you know, get your X factor stretch better. You know, we could see some of that on video, but are we keeping our hands back at launch? Are we launching properly? Are we launching our upper body too soon? So these are all things that you can't just get the information and splot it out on a web page and think you're going to get better. You have to utilize that information. And that's what the pro professional organizations do and, and a lot of college programs do. But for, for the professional people, we're just trying to get a number. Right. Okay, where are you right now? What do you do well and what don't you do well? Okay, it's not going to... We're not going to sign someone because they have a crazy number on a blast report. Okay, that's the yeah. farthest thing. In fact, I've seen them. We've had international players with crazy numbers with, um, I'm trying to think of the number, like some kind of acceleration numbers um, that show up on blast, which I hardly ever use. Well, also, too, and- you know, we, we've said it before on, on the show about how Latin American players, amateurs, they're very upper body centric when they're hitting, their hands are lightning fast. That's why when they get into professional baseball, their hands are lightning fast. You see it a lot too with Latin American shortstops. They've got great hands, so they can go into the hole, into the shortstop hole, backhand, set their feet and throw. Where you look at American players, amateur players, especially at the high school level, and I see this all the time. This is why they take the crow hops and they want to show off the arm strength. I see that they just... They backhand, and then their footwork gets out of sequence. They shuffle their feet, and then they try to throw as hard as they can. Latin American players, very upper body centric. Now, get rid of the ball. To the flip side of that, their lower body isn't as developed as, say, an American-type player. Mm-hmm. So the metrics are going to be a little bit different as it comes to Latin American players and, and of course, American-born amateurs. Yeah, and some some of them are, and some of them are are similar, you know, but, but yeah, they're, they're, they're 10 years old. They're swinging wood bats. They're swinging drop threes. Maybe there's a drop five somewhere on the Island, but probably not, you know, they're not swinging drop tens. So they are building hand strength at a much, much younger, younger age. But, you know, getting back to those numbers, it's not, that number is not going to get you signed or drafted. Okay. It's going to tell you what kind of athlete you are, or it's going to tell your recruiter what kind of athlete are. I mean, way back when, I don't know, maybe this was 15 years ago. Maybe it was 25 years ago. I don't remember. It wasn't 25 years ago. It was after I was done playing, but um, Gary Ward. So at the time, I believe he was at New Mexico state. So this would have been late nineties, early two thousands maybe. And he said, we we're not going to recruit anybody that doesn't hit a ball 90 miles an hour off the tee. Okay. That was their benchmark. You can't play, and that's what they said. You can't play college baseball unless you can hit 90. So if they did a camp or showcase camp or something like that, that was their baseline. Yeah, you look at that number now with college players, it's probably closer to 100 miles an hour. Um, yeah. 
because you can cheat it. You can try to swing as hard as you can, and you can almost crow hop. You know, sometimes you see these guys taking these incredibly huge strides and huge hand loads just so they can get a ball to go 100 miles an hour off a tee, but none of that relates in a game. So, again, it's it's like anything else. It's like scouting. It's like player development. How do you use those metrics? The metrics themselves, the technology itself does not make you a better player. How you utilize it and how your coaches help you interpret that and then put you in the correct positions or the correct plans to get better, that that's where technology helps, whether it's a blast motion sensor or a K-Vest or a hit tracks. doesn't matter what it is. Right. Well, college coaches, though, this is on you because college coaches, they look for a certain number and then high school coaches, because they don't know any better, mm-hmm. they'll parrot things and they'll retweet mm-hmm. things about what their high school kids and their their or athletes are doing at showcases based off those numbers. And now all of a sudden, here we are creating pressure and the parents don't know any better. Sorry, no offense, but parents don't know any better. So then they're telling their kids, hey, you have to hit this certain number. Hey, you have to hit this certain number. And quite frankly, I don't blame them because parents are trying to get their kids scholarships and they're trying to pay less money for college, which has, the, I mean, the, the great of college and, you know, has just it's gone. It's bit gotten ridiculous. So I'm not I'm not indicting parents here. I'm indicting more so college coaches saying, hey, they need to hit a certain metric and high school coaches following that and telling their kids, hey, you guys have to hit this certain metric. When, if, if you want to play at the next level. Oh, and don't forget the GPA. You know, nobody ever talks about that anymore, by the way. The GPA is still, I sound like an old boomer right now. The GPA is still very important through all of this. You're going to probably get, the majority of you out there are going to get more academic money than you are athletic money. Yeah. Probably 90% of you that are yeah. listening. No doubt about it. You get a get a high 90% of the score. people just went away, so. There goes 90% of our audience because you just <laughs> spoiled something for them. No, it, it, it's it's true. You know, they, Big Epstein, have, the dream killer. <laughs> if, if it, wah, wah, right. <laughs> but no, if you're a, a baseball or softball player, you got 11.7 scholarships split amongst uh, 30, 30 people or more, sometimes on a baseball roster. It doesn't add up, right? Yeah. You know, some and and your pitchers, your your really big ones, are going to get more of that. So it's not like we're splitting that in half. A lot of people are on thirty percent, but you could go out and get a. I mean, I I couldn't, but some people can go out and get a thirty on an ACT, and that might be worth ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year. You know, yeah. towards their towards their tuition. So, yes, study, invest a thousand dollars in your ACT ACT prep classes. You know, go to one less showcase and 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 do your ACT prep because that's going to get you a lot of money on the back end, even if you don't play sports. Yeah. We're a well-rounded podcast here. We are. Episode 123. By the way, before we get into today's topic, facing an ace, Justin Verlander, coming up with a plan of how to hit Justin Verlander. Not a lot of people know how to do that. Rightfully so. Cy Young Award winner. We'll get to that in just a second. I have to tell you about Cody Bellinger. Last week, we touched on him. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing an episode of mechanical breakdown series of Cody Bellinger. Now the title of the episode is going to, instead of breaking down his swing, it's going to be called fixing Cody Bellinger. Epp and I are going to fix Cody Bellinger who I had a, I have a feeling, I don't know. It's just me. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Might but be in your I, organization, right? I hate this. I hate to say it more times than not. I'm right. <laughs> I just want to let everybody know. The rest of us hate to hear it too, Jim. That's not, I don't give a shit. (laughs) I don't give a shit. I I hate to tell it. Is it going to be a blue jack? 
No, I don't know. I I will say I, I will say this though about Cody Bellinger. I feel that he is going to be the next Schwarber, non-tendered, come back, fix things, have a great year, and then he's gonna he's going to parlay that into a big time contract. He's more athletic than Schwarber too, just so everybody yeah. knows. But one year pillow type deal, one year pillow contract. You may have a bounce back. That's just my feeling on Cody Ballinger. Now, and when we do that episode in a couple of weeks and we fix him, if he follows our advice, he's on his way. Well, and the nice part is we get 10% of his, his big contract after he's fixed. That's right. So that's we very, do. very helpful. Yeah. No, we don't. Yeah, no, I, I would should. say. Cody, Judge. Schwarber's just so breakdowns. quick. He's so strong. Like I bet that guy could. Yeah, just but Bellinger's wear... Bellinger's wiry, strong, and he's very quick, and the bat whips through the zone. He's more whippy though. Schwarber's just like his body he's turns fast, and his barrel is just quick. Okay. Uh, Bellinger's got a lot more moving parts. We'll say. All right. Longer levers, longer moving parts. He just has to get those things under control. Mm-hmm. He'll be great again. He's obviously got eye hand coordination. You know, mm-hmm. he just needs to give himself a chance. He just makes. Makes life a little bit difficult for himself. So, but we'll break that down when we get to it. Yes, we will. A couple of weeks, episode 125, fixing Cody Bellinger. And if he listens, then there's a good shot that he may parlay that into a big time contract. You're welcome, Cody. Thanks. He's going to have a big year. His back's against the wall. He's going to have a big year no matter what. I, re- I really think that. All right, follow us on social media at Jim Tara at Epstein Hitting. Let's get into today's topic, episode 123, facing an ace, that ace being Justin Verlander. Before we break down his repertoire, Justin Verlander, well, let's just say this. How often, as a coach, let's put you in the position of a, of a hitting coach, <laughs> how often do you have hitters meetings with your guys? Is it once every few days? first before the first game of the series or is it every day it varies throughout organization organization uh, and collegiate program it's a collegiate program it's usually every game day so okay. you want to you want to prep these guys on what they're going to be facing and then possibly facing coming out of the bullpen. idea of who's out of their bullpen what the matchups are going to be and then you know, you kind of want to show them what that pitcher's been like recently, you know, not necessarily last year. Or, you know, you want to show current videos, maybe the last time you faced them. So uh, ideally, you want to have those hitters hitters meetings daily based on the starter they're going to see. It's not, you know, it used to be so crucial because you'd see a guy three or four times a, a, a game. And now you're saying, OK, we're prepping for a couple of times through the lineup and then we got to prep. You might see this guy or you might see this guy coming out. So it's a lot more difficult um, in college, it's a little easier because you know your your three starters. You have your three weekend starters, and then you have your your left handed dudes that come out of the pen, and then you have the closer for the most part. So in conference play, like for the SEC, it's just these are the five guys you're going to face. You know they don't mm-hmm. usually roll out random dudes in the SEC weekend series that they would midweek. You know unless it was a blowout of some kind. So. That's a little bit easier to prepare. You know, as a coach, you're preparing, you know, three or four days in advance for those hitters meetings, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, you know, sometimes you'll have just one-on-one meetings with guys just to, hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? Um, You know, your swing feel okay? How's your timing feel? Just to get an idea of what's going through their mind. 
and a lot of times that will help the process of of creating a game plan for that play if, for for that player if they feel like I don't know, I feel rushed for instance well geez now we're facing Verlander he's throwing ninety six he's throwing at the top of the zone you're going to get totally exploited if you're feeling rushed so let's work on rhythm a little bit let's see if we can slow things down a little bit let's see if we can you know maybe we'll crank up the the machine. Um, to 96, 97 at the top of the zone. So you can see pitches. You don't even have to hit them. But let's see if we can get our, our stride going really early before that ball comes out and then track that pitch over and over again. So um, there's all different things you can do. And, and it, player or you know, number one, you have to know the player and you have to be comfortable with the player and the player. You have to have that that honest relationship. How do you feel? You know, what what's going through your mind right now? How can I help you? You know, not this is what you need to do. Um, if to be successful, it has to be a two-way street. You have to earn the trust of your players. And the only way to earn the trust is to present the information in a, in a positive, easy, easily understandable way. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, this guy, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Like that, that's exactly what happened today. Okay. And now I'm on board. And that's what you hope spring training is like. You know, if you're a new hitting coach coming into an organization, it's, it's really about, you know, learning the player and earning trust and, and, and setting yourself up for, for a good season where, where players are all working together with their coaching staff. So with Justin Verlander, for example, we're, again, we're using him mm -hmm. today, facing an ace, volume one, we'll call it, Justin Verlander. How do you open up that meeting? How do you start that meeting, that hitter's meeting, knowing that the guy on the mound you're facing that night is a Cy Young Award winner? Well, you never would mention that. You would say, okay, this is who we have. Right. <laughs> he's, okay. He's not a style young warrior. These are the pitches that he throws. Um, he has a tendency to do, you know, early, early in the at bat, maybe flip a couple breaking balls over, and then he'll try to finish hard late, you know, up in the zone. Whatever this strategy is for, for Verlander against your team, because that's different than against a different team. If he's facing the Blue Jays hitters versus facing the Rockies hitters, it might be different. Maybe the Blue Jays are better breaking ball hitters and the Rockies are better fastball hitters. So he's going to have a different approach too. So you have to, you have to figure that out as well. But when you're facing an ace, you know, it gets back to, you know, you have a couple different options as a player. Okay. Verlander's pitching today. My hamstring hurts. I'm just going to go ahead and take the day off. So that's option number one. You can always, <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, you know, what my dad said that, you can't get to two strikes. If you have a guy that puts you away, and again, pitchers aren't throwing. Why do we need to get the pitch count up for Verlander? Because he's going to throw five innings. He's going to throw five innings anyway, whether he throws 65 pitches or 100 pitches. He's going to throw his five innings, and then they're going to you know, bring in a fresh arm. So you know, getting the whole pitch count up, it's, okay, where, how does he usually throw me? I'm going to try to tunnel that pitch. I'm going to try to tunnel that fastball. I'm going to – he's got a riding fastball, a four-seam fastball up in the zone. I'm going to – Think about swinging two inches over the high fastball. I know I'm going to get one early in the count. Okay, that, that that's my strategy for this. Now, the tough part about Verlander is his breaking ball comes out of the same window. Some guys can, you know, how how early can I tell that's a fastball versus a breaking ball? Well, when they're coming out of the same window, it's pretty tough, right? Like that's that's why some pitchers are really really good. So you have to have that approach, and some guys can take that pitch. And, and maybe some guys are going to look for breaking balls early in the count. Okay, he's going to flip me a fastball or a, a curveball or a slider, right? He's going to throw me a get-me-over. He always does. I'm going to sit on that until I have two strikes, okay? So, and, uh, sorry, the re let me get to the repertoire here yeah. just for further context because I do have a question about 
well, a, a point, I guess, about his slider and curveball. So his repertoire, Verlander, fastball 95 to 90. This is according to baseballsavant.com. Yep. 95 to 97, throws at 51%. So he throws the fastball the most. Mm-hmm. Slider 87 to 89, 28%. Curveball 78 to 81, 19%. Changeup 85 to 86, 2%. Okay. I'll get to the curveball and slider in just a moment because there isn't much of a difference between the two when you watch it with your eyes and you look at some of the data. But with the fastball, 95 to 97, to hitters, it rides up. We've talked about this before. Mm. But from the pitcher's standpoint, from Justin Verlander's point of view, it's just staying on plane with his arm slot and Mm -hmm. his release point. Mm -hmm. But it's got a high spin rate. And that fastball, for the most part, where he is successful, it is when he leaves that fastball or pinpoints it up in the zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so, you, you, again, he's going to be different with some people he's going to throw more sliders to, some people he's going to throw. He might throw a curveball more, you know, a get-me-over. If he's got a get-me-over, it's probably going to be a curveball versus a slider. Um, does he bury the slider with lefties? I don't know if he's that kind of guy. Um, I think lefties he puts away with his high fastball. Right, he tries to get he tries to get belt high, he tries to get belly button high to lefties, which typically you know drop the barrel a little bit more. They can drop the bat head more, so he's going to exploit them. So, plus you look at those numbers, right? So you you, you told me what 51 percent, and then he splits his yeah. other, you know, he doesn't so, have to change, change up that much, right? Right. So the change up two percent. So how would you approach that? You kind of yeah. tell guys, hey, I'm throwing eliminate the change up. Yep. Yeah, he's going to throw that, what, four times a game, three times a game. So yeah. I'm not worried about the changeup, but I am worried about, you know, that those percentages might be way different from righties to lefties. So you have to you have to break break those down as well. Like, okay, lefties, maybe he throws 62% fastballs um, or more, and then he throws low. So definitely break that out or try to break it down into power-hitting lefties versus uh, middle infield lefties, you know, or speed lefties, something like that. So you can whittle those numbers down to figure out how does he really throw people like me? Or if you've been in the league a long time, right, then you go back and look at your last 20 at-bats against this guy, okay? Now, hitting's hard because pitchers are doing the same thing. Well, last time I faced him, because they have their pitchers meetings, (laughs) right, Uh, this guy got me on this pitch, Okay, or I didn't have success here, and now you may have a whole other plan. So the the key is, you know, figure out what pitch you're going to get early in the count that you that you can hit. Once you get to two strikes, and this is stuff that Ted Williams told my dad, like, if you're facing an ace, a guy that can put you away with two strikes, try not to get to two strikes. It's very difficult to strike out with less than two strikes. <laughs> okay, so, you know, look for a pitch early in the count. Don't be as fine. Okay, I'm not going to sit maybe – you know, middle in, I'm not going to sit, you know, ball two or ball three to me. I'm going to open up the plate a little bit and maybe the counts one and O or maybe it's O and O, but instead of just looking for, you know, a perfect pitch that I would sit on in that count, maybe I'm going to open it up and cover two thirds of the plate instead of just one third of the plate, you know, something like that. So that's typically the way to, to to get to guys is to get them early in the count if you can based on your plan that you put together and the pitch that you're looking for. And some guys can't get on top of that high fastball. And if that's the case, you got to really tunnel down, 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 down. And sometimes that works and he'll leave a fastball lower in the zone. The problem with that is if he starts a breaking ball at your at your thighs, 
a curveball thrown out of that same window or that same arm slot, you're going to probably chase that in the dirt. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're looking up a little bit to stay on top and he throws a curveball up, you at least have a chance to hit a hanger. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the part that that's a little bit tougher. That's why he's successful because he can start that breaking ball that looks like a strike because of the same window and boom, it ends up at your foot. So, you know, it's been said before that major league hitters, they can hit a bullet, you know, mm -hmm. and that's coming at them in the strike zone. Mm -hmm. So his fastball, while it's great and it's above average at this point, right? Mm -hmm. 95 to 97. It's great that a 40, a guy who's turning 40 can still throw that hard. Yeah. Testament to his work ethic, of course. But the fastball, you can almost eliminate that because you can you don't have to worry about it as much, right? That's not the pitch that if you're a major league hitter should get you out. Now I'm looking at the curveball and slider. We've talked about it before right there just a couple of minutes ago. The curveball slider, his slider 87 to 89, curveball 78 to 81. Mm -hmm. They both have similar shape to them. Both break on two planes and have pretty good depth. Actually, more than pretty good, above average depth, especially with the slider. A lot, it's a lot mm -hmm. tighter. But the spin, what's interesting, the spin rate, there's only a 42 different differential in spin rate. So the curveball at our 20, uh, uh, 2,423, so mm -hmm. 2,423 RPMs, and the slider, 2,465 RPMs. So, I mean, he tunnels them, and he's on point with his curveball and slider. It's going to be a long day for hitters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's amazing is they're 10 miles an hour different, and he's still yeah. getting the same amount of spin. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is pretty pretty damn impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're you're right. The the breaking balls make him because they're two different breaking balls, right? They they do have different shapes. I mean, they're moving the same direction, but ten miles an hour harder is going to be more on a horizontal plane. That's why it's considered a slider. Or they they categorize it as a slider. That's what makes him tough. Is that he has three different pitches that are all eight to ten miles an hour different in velocity. Okay, yeah. what fools us as hitters? It's not break, it's speed. When we get fooled, it's speed, right? It's we're sitting on a fastball and we get a changeup. We're sitting on a fastball, we swing in a breaking ball. We're out, we're out in front. Speed is is what, and that's what he does so well. Is he changes speed, even though he's throwing ninety five miles an hour. When he's throwing a seventy eight mile an hour curveball, and he he throws that for strike one, and then he throws that for strike two, and then boom, here comes the. 98, 95, 96 mile an hour fastball at your letters, that thing looks like it's 105 miles an hour because of that, you know, we're talking, you know, 18 miles an hour different in speed. That's what makes guys tough. It's his mix that makes him tough. So that's why you have to take something early in the count. You have to take pitches out, right, of that mix because you can. You don't have two strikes. Why would I look for everything? Right. So if you could figure out what you want to do and stick to that plan, and maybe it doesn't work your first time up, and that's okay. How many hits does Verlander give up the first time through the lineup? Not very many. Yeah. We use it as a learning experience, right? We're using it in hopes that, boom, I can get him my next at bat after he walks a guy or after we get a bloop somewhere. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get four line drives off of Verlander in one inning, okay? You're hoping to put a couple balls in play, uh, Maybe get a you know you get jammed or you hit one off the end. You scratch through a hit and then boom, we barrel something up and hit a two run homer. Okay, great. Now we now we we had our chance off Verlander and we made the most of it. But you're not going to sit there unless he doesn't have his good stuff, right? Which 
guys have their good stuff, you know, every couple starts, they don't have their great stuff every start, but if you can get them and, and essentially you're plotting for that attack, you're plotting every pitch. When am I going to win this battle? When is he going to make a mistake? Right. I'm sitting on this. I'm sitting on this. Boom. I got it. And I hit it hard. That's why mechanics are important. Cause if you have bad mechanics and you finally get your pitch and you miss it, Oh man, I worked my tail off with my pregame meeting, with my approach plan. And now all of a sudden I missed the pitch he gave me and I could have won the game for my team. So that's why mechanics and swing plane are so important um, is, is when we do anticipate correctly off these guys that are just elite pitchers and we do put our swing off and our timing is good. We got to make sure our barrels on the right spot. So how do you, how do you formulate a plan and go through these meetings based off previous failures and previous successes off say again facing an ace justin verlander yeah so if if i've determined that early in the count i'm going to sit on fastballs okay so i'm going to prep i'm going to visualize i'm going to close my eyes i'm going to see justin verlander um maybe i pull up videos uh maybe somebody in the hitting department has put together my last five at bats and so you're seeing justin Verlander, and, and of those last five at bats they've taken all the fastballs out and they've cut them down and says this is what it looks like, you know, on video of him throwing you those fastballs, right? Maybe it's a behind home plate view. Maybe it's behind the pitcher view. It doesn't matter what it is, but you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're visualizing, when do I start moving, right? You can watch a video and be like, I'm going to practice my rhythm here. Then we say, okay, let's dial up that fastball. He releases the ball from 62 inches off of the ground, uh, you know, 18 inches to the right of the center of the rubber, wherever wherever his release point is, you slide the machine there, you crank up a, you know, maybe if you have spin rate accessibility in your batting cage, you can totally mimic that, that exact pitch. But, you know, maybe you just crank that thing up to a 95 mile an hour fastball with, with uh, a four degree drop trajectory or a three degree drop trajectory. And you just sit there and see them. And then you start staying on top of that pitch, staying on top yeah. of that pitch, staying on top of that pitch. Okay, and then you get your work done, and then you go do your fielding, and you eat something, you get your uniform on, maybe you do a little bit more visualization, and then we're ready to rock and roll, man. It's game time. Yeah. Don't it's fun. The, yeah, I mean, it's a process. And, and some guys can do that, and some guys can think their way through it, and then some guys say, hey, coach, what are we doing today? And we say, okay, I've done the thinking for you. We're going to take some swings off this machine, off this pitch. I want you to look for it. Boom. Let's Let's get to work. All right. Any questions? Good, good stuff today. App. Any questions? Email us streambowpodcast21 at gmail.com. I'm sure we'll do another one of these down the line. Facing an ace episode 123. Please subscribe to the show, by the way. Leave a review. Apple, Google, Spotify, or the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page to watch the show. Next week, very simple topic. Two strike hitting. Oh, boy. Two strike hitting. So many strikeouts nowadays across baseball. High school, college, pro. We're going to talk about two-strike hitting next So week. many. Not for the Astros. They did a pretty damn good job in the World Series. They did. And they squeaked out. I saw somebody. It was, it was a funny tweet, but it was like, it had to do with your Thanksgiving and, you know, hitting, moving a runner over or hitting a ground ball to second base. Mm-hmm. And it said, in theory, you know, really good. In reality, it's like pumpkin pie or whatever, you know, you were saying, but I thought about, there were two or three hits that the Astros had that were back breaking hits that went between with two strikes that Maldonado hit one of them. 
that were just little base hits between first and second that either kept an inning going or scored a run. Right. And it, it really is part of the game. You can't just give in all the time or, or you you can't give up all the time. You can't just swing for brokes. You know, sometimes, yes, maybe one out of 25 times with two strikes, you hit a home run. Awesome. But can we at least put the ball in play a little more? Can we cut down on strikeouts? Can we move runners? And we'll see if that works. Now, sometimes you're big and slow and hitting a ground ball with two strikes is bad. You might as well try to hit a double and score a runner from first base instead of hitting into a double play. That's different. But for everyone in there, it's okay to put the ball in play with two strikes. Yes. So we'll talk about that next week. Two strike hitting. That'll be episode 124. What do you got coming up at the lab? We got our college stuff going on. We have our meetings with all the people that did our KVS reports. So now they're meeting with their uh, hit their instructors. So Matt and Kenny will do meetings with all their all their players going through that. And we're gearing up for season time. Right now's the time to get big and bigger and stronger and eating right and moving fast. And then we're working on mechanical stuff right now. And then come January, we'll start taking that into uh, more velocity and more breaking balls with all of our training. By the way, we talked about off-season prep plans offensively last week, episode 122. So go back and listen, subscribe. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. Anything else? We done? Good? And you want to talk more about how you hate Thanksgiving food? No, I mean, I like Thanksgiving food sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not in your boat. There's a couple of us in the family that like it. Two out of five in my immediate family. My mom always made a nice Thanksgiving. Yeah. And my dad always smokes a turkey mm -hmm. and he usually undercooks it. So we might die, but it's never dry. Right. Right. <laughs> no, that's sometimes the, that's the sacrifice you make sometimes. All right. Episode 124 next week. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you then.